Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monyoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. The following is an encore presentation. This program originally aired July 8th, 2016. Brian Putko probably needs uh, no introduction to anyone who has found any of his books. He is the author of several books about the Lincoln Highway. He's also the author of Diners of Pennsylvania, uh, Klondike's Chipped Ham and Skyscraper Cones, the story of Isley's Roadside Attractions and Roadside Giants. He is also the editor of Western Pennsylvania History Magazine. That is the Journal of the Heinz History Center. He is, as I found out this morning while uh, uh, asking Dr. Google, he is an adjunct instructor of history at Duquesne University. He is also the author of the brand new book, and that's what we'll be talking about mostly uh, this morning, Kennywood, Behind the Screams, uh, which was just released May 15th. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. Uh, Was that introduction uh, largely accurate? Uh, That sounds pretty much like the person I know. (laughs) Well, first of all, tell us, the the new book uh, came out May 15th. Um, The the little bits that I've been able to see of it, I have not got my hot little hands on on my own copy yet. Um, What? We need to get you one. Oh, I should have asked beforehand. Um, It looks great. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, certainly been a labor of love. Uh, and both things, uh, labor and love. <laughs> well, uh, you and I are friends on Facebook, so I've been kind of following um, your your research on this. You've got at least two years' worth of research into this book, but am I wrong about that? No, definitely. Probably more than I that. I would say more than that. I think the idea went back about four years. Well, well, I'm a, a West Mifflin resident, uh-huh. so uh, lifelong. So... Um, the idea has always been there, but the actual book, uh, the idea about four years ago, and then uh, maybe the real work got underway about three years ago. There have been other books about Kennywood. Um, Charles Jacquis Jr.'s book that came out about 20, 25 years ago um, mm-hmm. is probably the best-known one. But you got unprecedented access, my understanding is, to the Kennywood archives. I did, and um, I do love uh, his books, his his original one and a follow-up and then one about 10 years ago by Dave Honor, mm-hmm. uh, the, the smaller Arcadia photo book. But um, even though I loved them, um, the one thing that, uh, that I always found hard to uh, grasp was that um, there were so many rides, uh, they're pictured in those books or in uh, uh, Rick Seebeck's video about the park, like um, Laugh in the Dark and um, some of the earlier rides that it, just seemed like there was a whole world of Kennywood that um, uh, many of us don't even know about, as if it had come and gone and we weren't aware of it. And it was hard for me to always picture where those things were, where those rides were. So my uh, older brother and sister would talk about Laugh in the Dark, and it was totally foreign to me, much as probably nowadays uh, younger people, uh, I would talk about, say, the ghost ship or like a show and and sure. seems like a pretty recent memory to me but they wouldn't 
And so, well, you would was, have to be you would have to be twenty five if I can interrupt you for a second to remember the laser loop. I would think at this point, right, or or thirty right, probably. Right, yeah. right. There's another one that um, seems like a pretty recent thing, but time flies, and if you're fifteen or twenty years old, that's all totally uh, lost on you. So, what I wanted to do was instead of that chronology and and being a historian, I love uh, history and chronology, but um, my own memory starts somewhere in the late 60s. So anything before that just seemed to be somewhat meaningless. So my idea was instead to make it more like a walking tour. So when you get to a location, you find out what was there, and especially using old pictures, it, it might give you some reference. It's a pocket guide, I think it says, on right on the cover, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And, um, and that's part of uh, what I wanted to do was not make... Uh, there will be um, uh, a larger version, but uh, in speaking just to this one, uh-huh. I wanted it accessible uh, both in price and size. So if you're at the park, you know, none of us want to buy a giant book, but this one could go in a purse or in um, cargo pants uh, or, or stay in your hand, mm-hmm. and uh, so be small enough to carry and um, small enough to stay affordable. Just hold on to it with both hands if you're going around and around, or if you're going upside down if you're at the park this summer. Brian Butko is on the phone with us right now. He's the author of many books on uh, what is called commercial archaeology, and I want you to explain that term. Um, his most recent book is called Kennywood, Behind the Screams. As Brian just mentioned, uh, this first edition is a pocket-sized walking guide to the park. You can get to that or any of Brian's books by going to brianbutko.com, and that will direct you to the correct place on Brian's blog. Um, I want to talk more about the history of, of Kennywood and some of the um, fascinating things that you unearthed for this book. But um, I want to ask you a little bit about you first. I, I know a little bit of your, your background, but I bet some of the folks who have seen you, like on Rick Seaback's TV specials, probably don't. You mentioned that you are a lifelong uh, West Mifflin resident. Yep. Uh, spent my entire life in West Mifflin. Uh, still there. So um, somewhere like Kennywood, we just... Uh, becomes part of your life, and you think that everyone has an amusement park. In their backyard. Right, right. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember as a child thinking the same about Isley's, that we just thought the whole world had them. Uh, they were everywhere in our lives. And then you, as you grow older, you go a little bit beyond the borders and find out that's not at all the case. How did you become interested in history in general? You know, I think uh, our family would take those day-long trips to Little Washington and uh, Bedford and uh, up north to Conneaut Park or into Ohio and uh, just got started that way, uh, uh, seeing the the places and sensing that they were disappearing over time. And so uh, I still like that, uh, seeing the layers and being able to tell uh, what came from what era, and, and what it meant to a place. You got a master's degree, I believe, from Duquesne University. Where is your undergraduate from? Well, I am a graduate of Pittsburgh Institute of Aeronautics with oh, okay. a degree in avionics, so of course I'm a historian. But uh, I, when I was there, I always enjoyed working on the old tube radios. Sure. And uh, I used to go to the Pennsylvania room in, at the Carnegie Library. They had all the... Uh, uh, the schematics there, um, although you'll appreciate that one day I went and the schematics were no longer there, and I said, what's happening to them? And they 
showed me to the window, and I said, why there? And at the bottom of the window, two floors down, was a dumpster. They were throwing all the schematics Oh, boy. They said, well, you know, these take up tons of room, and you're the only person who uses them. So one of the many heartbreaks as a historian. But um, when I realized I was more interested in the history of radios than repairing the integrated circuits, Uh uh, I went back for a degree and got my undergraduate in history at Point Park in town and then a graduate degree at Duquesne. Okay. So uh, uh, Point Park and Duquesne by way of the Pittsburgh Institute of Aeronautics. Do you fly at all? I don't. (laughs) Brian Butko is a historian. He is the editor of Western Pennsylvania History, the journal of the Heinz History Center in Pittsburgh. He's a lifelong West Mifflin resident, and he is the author of numerous books, including the newest book, Kennywood, Behind the Screams, the Pocket Edition. Um, We're going to have to take a break here in a minute or two, but but I want you to talk a little bit about... uh, how you became interested in, in 20th century history in particular is kind of an amateur historian myself. One of the things you notice is that uh, history of great wars and of the, the 17th and 18th centuries is sort of taken very, very seriously by academics. The more recent history of, of the 20th century and, and, and now we're 16 years into the 21st century is maybe taken a little bit less seriously. Have you noticed that as well? Oh, definitely. Okay. The story of uh, my career, I think. Um, in trying to pursue um, what's sort of derisively dismissed as pop history, uh, as if it weren't as important as the wars and the generals and uh, politics and economics. But um, One of the things that, that, that people often comment on is, you know, if you take history in, in high school, you know, you kind of get up to the Revolutionary War in American history, and then nothing much happens, it seems like, after that, at least right. according to high school history. Right. Well, and, uh, yeah, I, as I made those family trips in the back seat and would see the gas stations and diners going by, and then as a teenager started noticing they were disappearing, I, I became interested in their history and preserving the places and the people. And I just thought, you know, thousands of, how many thousands of people worked as waitresses or uh, at motels or what have you, and uh, their story just uh, disappeared. It was not documented. So going back to when I got into this in the late 80s and early 90s, um, that was really out of favor then. Um, it's been interesting, though, watching uh, the transformation to where, uh, even if that's not all taken real seriously, it certainly has gone from um, not at all uh, looked at to being so prominent on the internet where now you can go and find tens of thousands of pictures of neon signs and diners. Um, So it's a funny transformation. Uh, let's pause. It's a good place for us to pause. When we pick this back up, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that and also ask you to define this, this term, commercial archaeology, that um, you have been involved with, okay? Sure. Stay tuned. Support for this broadcast comes from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Striffler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Striffler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Striffler's also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at Striffler's.com or call 4 4- one two six seven eight six one nine one. You're listening to a rebroadcast of Two Rivers Thirty Minutes that originally aired July eighth, two thousand sixteen. Now back to our interview with Brian Buntko.
He is the editor of Western Pennsylvania History. That is the journal of the Senator John Hines History Center. Uh, he is also the author of numerous books, including Kennywood Behind the Screams. Uh, it's the newest book uh, that came out May 15th. It is obviously History of Kennywood Park. You may have also seen or uh, enjoyed Brian's books on the Lincoln Highway, on diners in Pennsylvania, uh, roadside attractions and roadside giants, and, of course, his book on Isleys. You can find out more about any of them and purchase them at his website, brianbutko.com. Before we took the break, I uh, was asking you a little bit about uh, 20th century history has until recently kind of gotten short shrift. Um, people viewing it as not as serious as the American Revolution or, or World War II or something. Um, but I asked you about this term that, that pops up over and over again called commercial archaeology. What is commercial archaeology? Well, I think uh, by the 1960s, there was a growing awareness of uh, all aspects of American culture were so quickly changing that um, people were starting to document them. And, I mean, that could be everything from uh, more popular oral histories to uh, artists like Andy Warhol. So uh, there was a Society for Industrial Archaeology formed for the mills that were already starting to close at it already peaked in the late 50s mm -hmm. and uh, were starting to decline. And so by the 1970s, uh, there was a similar movement with diners and drive-ins that um, uh, when they had started the 1960s were in full flower. But as the decade wore on, like so many things, in fact, it, it's the both the 1860s and the 1960s were called the Brown Decade because of the, huh. the war and the change in fashions, uh, whether it was dresses in the Civil War, or think of car interiors sure. from the 1960s that by the end of the decade had gone from sparkly and blue and white to green and black and brown. Yeah. And so uh, with that was the uh, fading of the roadside culture that had been uh, so popular and beloved uh, years before. And so in 1977, uh, a, a group of people, including uh, 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 some local people got together and formed the Society for Commercial Archaeology. And uh, so uh, they'll be celebrating their, what is that, um, 40th Very anniversary uh, next year. And you have and edited their journal uh, since, what, 1996? I've uh, edited and uh, been designing it uh, uh, now uh, since in re more recent years. And so, um, again, it's been interesting watching just as that was gaining traction and the Internet came along. And uh, it's an interesting phenomenon because uh, that, that group takes it pretty seriously. Uh, again, online, there are endless photos of gas stations and diners, but uh, we try and do it a little more seriously, look at the meaning behind them. And, and so that's a segue to the Kennywood research. That, yeah. um, we certainly had a lot of fun. Uh, or even Isley's. There's so much fun aspect to ice cream and food and, and deli, dairy places. But there's also a serious side to it that um, we don't want to be overly serious, but we do want to make sure that things are documented and yeah. told correctly. And, and so even my books about roadside giants and attractions, um, uh, among all the fun, we want to make sure that the, the facts are right. Let's. Uh, I want to get back to the to the to the to the fun aspect of it, and also back to um, what sort of amateur historians, uh, including m myself, um, I 
I said to somebody, I said a few weeks ago on this program, you know, there's a thing called amateur radio. A lot of people think that's what I do on the radio, but that's, <laughs> that's entirely different. Uh, Brian Butko is our guest this morning. He's the author of the new book, Kennywood Behind the Screams. You've probably seen him on uh, some of Rick Seaback's specials. He's also the author of uh, very well-received books on uh, the Lincoln Highway, on roadside attractions, and on Isley's. You can get to his website at brianbutko.com. Is this... Let me back up one, one step here. Commercial archaeology. Archaeology as people probably have learned in school or, or know, is when you, you, you go into uh, an Egyptian uh, uh, ruin or, or a Greek ruin and, and, and you very carefully try to document and, and painstakingly re- reconstruct um, ancient civilizations. Or in the United States, we have the Meadowcroft Rock Shelter, not too far from us, which is a prehistoric uh, settlement in Washington County. Um, and, and, and people unearth the, the ruins of Fort Pitt and Fort Duquesne uh, in, in Pittsburgh, for instance. How, how does commercial archaeology uh, what, what similarities and what differences does it have? Well, it, you're right. It, it's different. That it tends to be far less of the digging in the ground, but more so a, a modern version of digging to find these places that uh, get forgotten on two-lane roads that are bypassed um, two or three times mm-hmm. by by a, a highway and then a four-lane road and then, of course, by air travel. Uh, they're also covered up. Uh, so many diners were remodeled to look more modern and less flashy and then just decline. And uh, even the literal sense that um, if you think about it, how many of those old gas stations do you still know that have the two bays where they work on cars and they're pumping gas with the hose you run over? You know, so many of us, that was our lifetime not too long ago, and now all of a sudden, I bet we all go to Sheets and Get-Go, and uh, where are those local stations? And it's not too long ago, but the uh, roadside is always changing so quickly, and so the same with drive-in theaters. I grew up as a kid going to them. Uh, in my 20s, I was going to the abandoned ones to take pictures, and now, <laughs> yeah. now uh, where are they? They're almost all gone. You have to drive pretty far to get to them, and I'm glad a few of them exist. But in other words, that there almost has become a literal sense. Uh, I don't think the group with the SCA, the Society for Commercial Archaeology, meant it that way in 1977, but it certainly has become that way that there's you almost have to dig to find so many of these places. So I want to get to um, some of the things that you unearthed about Kennywood. So if people are wondering, when are they going to start talking about Kennywood? Stay tuned. Uh, we're mm-hmm. going to be back to the topic of Kennywood here soon. But, but uh, to just to sort of close the loop, one of the things you've mentioned is that with commercial archaeology, uh, so many of these things were lost because, you know, it was originally on a two-lane road, and then there was a four-lane road built, and then the interstate was built. Is that a uniquely American thing? Does this happen in, in Europe or Australia? It's in other countries, but yes, by far it's an American phenomenon because of... um, The car culture, I'm assuming, and the mobility. Right, and the fact that um, there was so much open land um, a century ago, and then that car culture boomed. It was mostly an American-centric phenomenon, and it just, um, uh, you know, uh, I want to 
say blossomed, but that sounds so pleasant. Yeah. Uh, it seeped into the suburbs and you know, overtook them. And so even when we wrote our book about diners, that there really is a pretty in-depth um, history there that we've talked almost not at all about the food as much as uh, the style of diners and where they were being located. And, and just quickly, if you think about it, the first ones were right downtown where people were getting off the, the train. trains and yeah. trolleys. Right. Uh-huh and then uh, spreading to the edge of cities. And by the 60s, they were out on the uh, interstates at the uh, uh, exit ramps. And, and it seems to me that this is also a fairly recent phenomenon that people always in the United States traveled, but they traveled on the old post roads or they traveled on the National Road, and they, they came to the heart of the, these little towns like Adamsburg mm-hmm. or Irwin or, or, or um, uh, Wilmerding, Turtle Creek, the, you know, these little right. roads that wound through valleys. Um, and that happened for 100 or 200 years, and then there was this very brief period of right. like 1920 to 1960 where n- national highways start to come in. That, that's, that really compresses a lot of history into a, a very short amount of time. A lot of change, a lot of cultural change. Right. And I think that's what draws a lot of people to it, that it's fairly recent. There's some remnants of it. Uh, some places can actually still be visited, like some diners or, say, Ritter's Diner or uh, Kennywood Park. Uh, or Kennywood, um, yeah. Right. Um, so I think that's part of the fun to it, that it's... Um, old enough to be history, but there's still things that you can experience, which is harder if you're talking about a Civil War battlefield or a Revolutionary War battlefield. It becomes uh, a pretty distant thing. Uh, that We have to take one more 60-second break. When we come back, I want to ask you uh, some of the things that you, I don't want you to give away everything in the book, but uh, mm-hmm. tease some of the things that are in the new book about Kennywood, okay? Sure. We'll be back in 60 seconds to wrap up this morning's show. This is a Tube City Almanac, Tube City Online community event announcement. Carnegie Library of McKeesport presents Summer Reading for Adults beginning June 21st and ending July 30th. Hey, Summer Reading is not just for kids. If you're reading anyway, why not participate in this library program and win prizes while showing support for your local library? Were you meaning to read more? Join the challenge. Inspire those around you by joining the summer reading program, which is free and open to the public. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. If you've got an idea for someone who you'd like us to interview or a question or comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. This program originally aired July 8th, 2016. And now for the conclusion of our discussion of Kennywood Behind the Screams with its author, Brian Butko. Guest this morning is Brian Butko. He's the author of the new book, Kennywood Behind the Screams. And you can find that at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, or by going to Brian's website, brianbutko.com. He is a West Mifflin resident lifelong, as we learned this morning. So the new book is called, we've talked a lot about how you got into the field of commercial archaeology, but the new book is called Kennywood Behind the Screams. You had unprecedented access to the uh, Kennywood archives. What are some of the more unique things that you have been able to unearth? Well, um, the funny thing is that that didn't happen overnight. Uh-huh. Uh, when I first started uh, asking them four years ago about doing the book, I pretty much had a year of um, not getting much attention. You know, I and I realize now they get bombarded uh, weekly, sure. if not daily, by people just like me who want to write a book and have good intentions. Um, but um, 
I've done it before and I was pretty serious and I kept after them till they uh, relented uh, to their credit. And uh, once they did, uh, you're right, they uh, gave me a lot, put a lot of trust in me. So I hope I have uh, maintained that. And uh, their archives uh, were interesting in that um, they are really uh, complete and in-depth and organized. But at the same time, I think a lot of people hear that and think, well, you just go in and it's like a buffet. You want something, <laughs> you want a certain fact or something, and you go in and take it, and there it is. Um, or people, I've asked people to write some stories for the magazine about certain aspects, and I think they expect the same thing. Well, if I go visit for an hour, I'll walk out with what I need to do, and it's not at all that way. I've spent hundreds of hours in there, and... Um, it's uh, it's like drowning in candy. There's so much there, but it's not necessarily a good thing to have an endless amount of every receipt ever yes. back to pretty much 1906 when the families took over. And so um, finding the gems of photos or um, contracts, you know, is the needle in a haystack. And well, what so, a company thinks is important, too, might not be what a historian thinks is important in the future or what the public thinks is important. Exactly. So all the correspondence with the electric companies and the plumbers and uh, people doing concrete are in there. And, um, you know, as exciting as the first one or two of those might be after a few thousand of those, um, <laughs> it, it it's, can be pretty confusing. But having said that, yeah, it, it's pretty neat to see some of the contracts for some of the rides that they had in Kitty Land or other places, the uh, uh, blueprints for, say, when they uh, had to build a new pavilion for the uh, uh, merry-go-round in 1927, which they found out after they bought it didn't fit in the old pavilion that's now the Johnny Rockets. Um, and really, my favorite thing are all the um, the artists' renderings fr- throughout the years, um, both blueprints, but also especially into the 50s uh, and 60s. The airbrush the color, photos. Or right, airbrush, the yeah. color ones yeah. using paint. Um, uh, of what things could look like or should look like. Uh, that's an uh, awful lot of fun for me. Did you work at Kennywood as so many of uh, the people in the Mon Valley did? Well, I never did. You know, my brother and sister did, my kids do, my grandparents did. Um, but I'm thinking maybe that's a good thing because sure. uh, I know you work there, and I think I there's a certain closeness that I'm glad I didn't have. For a historian, yeah. What I what I wanted to do. But I love hearing those stories, and this is actually the first of three books, and the third book will have some of those stories, um, maybe even from yourself you might. Uh, oh, dear. Uh, yeah. I don't know if the statute of limitations is up, though. <laughs> oh, I'll protect you. We can change your name. Ah. Jason. A, a, a no, anonymous uh, part-time radio broadcaster. Uh, Brian Butko is uh, the editor of the Western Pennsylvania History Journal, which is the magazine of the Heinz History Center. He is also the designer of the SCA Journal, which is the uh, Journal of the Society of Commercial Archaeologists, and um, is the author of many books on 20th and 21st century culture, uh, including the Isley book that many of you are familiar with, the Lincoln Highway books that uh, so many people have enjoyed, and the new book, Kennywood, Behind the Screams, which is uh, the Pocket Guide, the first book of, uh, as Brian just mentioned, what is going to be a three-book trilogy. How are you hoping... W- w- let me ask you this, because we're running out of time, but the, the, and, and I could talk about this for another hour. Um, but you, you, you said that this book, this first book, is a pocket guide. It is meant to be taken with you and, and enjoyed maybe while you're actively walking around Kennywood Park. What are some, some specific things that you would hope people would do? Some specific attractions, for instance, that you hope people would take the book and, and learn about? 
Well, uh, when I had mentioned uh, Laugh in the Dark, there's a great example of where when you walk in the park, uh, I eventually discovered it's where uh, it was right near the entrance. Well, it's now the Skyrocket. So it's where the turnpike for a lot of people would remember where the turnpike was. Laugh in the Dark was what what is called a dark ride, but it was like a walk-through funhouse type attraction? You got in a car, so much like um, Ghostwood Estate, um, you got in a car and went through and there were stunts. But there's exactly what I love, that something that may be somewhat meaningless to any of us who never went there, and now the turnpike becoming meaningless to the generation. But once you see the pictures, then you see... The old, there's the old mill in the background of everyone, every generation, including Laugh in the Dark. And even uh, the big book will have a picture before Laugh in the Dark was a bumper car ride there okay. the Dodgem. And there's the old mill in the background again. <laughs> I believe that is one of the uh, – is that the oldest attraction now at Kennywood? Well, uh, it, it may be. Uh, the interesting connection is uh, the old mill, the original old mill, it's been rebuilt, uh, uh, was built around 1901 by Frederick Ingersoll, who built their first coaster, their first old mill, and the connection to what will be book two, he went on to build um, Pittsburgh's famed Luna Park, so uh-huh. maybe next year we'll talk about um, book number two and how Kennywood and Luna Park were joined by Frederick Ingersoll back then, and then of course, here it is nowadays, Kennywood built Lost Kennywood, uh-huh. which is basically uh, uh, in uh, um, somewhat an homage to uh, Luna Park. A modern imagining. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Brian Butko has been our guest this morning. He is the author of the new book, Kennywood Behind the Screams. You can find out more about that book or any of Brian's books at his website, brianbutko.com. Brian, always a pleasure to talk with you, and thank you for taking some time to talk with us this morning. Yes, thank you for having me. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, the Keysport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.